Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, it's called destination disease. This is the definition kind of that I've come up with or some of the, the attributes of destination disease. It's deadly. It's contagious. It's this inability to um, learn from or live in the moment long enough to pay attention to the now because we're always so focused on the next. And so if you have destination disease, the dilemma with that is that it, this drive for next causes us to miss memories and it causes us to miss opportunities and it causes us to miss moments that we should learn from and that we should gain wisdom from. And so uh, we, we, we focus all of our attention on what's coming and we forget to live right now in the moment. Now, that, that sounds a little odd because in this generation, most, most of us seem to only live for this moment. But, but even in the, our desire to live in this moment, we're always, or at least most of us, seem to be thinking about next. So as we approach Easter, and it's, it's about to be here quickly, Jesus is journeying towards uh, his death and resurrection, and the desti that destination of resurrection holds so much promise and meaning to us as believers that if we're not careful, we push past everything that happened in Jesus' life, and we get caught up in destination disease, and all of the attention goes to Easter. In fact, if you have noticed around town on your Facebook feed, it's like everybody is pushing towards Easter. It's Easter, 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 Easter. And in that journey, if we're not careful, we forget to slow down and learn from the stops that Jesus made along the way. So we've been trying to take uh, day by day the last week of Jesus's life. So if you have your little card, I want you to catch up if you're not caught up. Should be one in a chair next to you somewhere. Or you should be bringing yours back every week. We started by talking about the first day in that week, and that was Sunday. Jesus makes his triumphal entry. So if you would, write triumphal entry down there. And then second, we said on Monday, Jesus cleans out the temple. Remember that story? He, he flips over the tables. He chases all the money changers out. Um, and so that was uh, Monday. On Tuesday, which um, we talked about last week, Jesus spends a long time talking to religious leaders trying to show them that they've rejected him as Messiah. Then he spends the rest of the afternoon talking to his disciples. And you will remember we said it like this. He hands out hope. He talks about in our worst days that our hope is fixed on the fact that Jesus will come back and we should be ready for that, right? So on Tuesday, now you will notice if you're astute, you'll think the pastor made a mistake. You'll start flipping the card around going, where's Wednesday? I don't see Wednesday. Do you see Wednesday? I left it off on purpose. So here's why. Uh, the reason that Wednesday is missing on your card is because we know so little about what happened on Wednesday. In fact, most historians believe and Bible theologians believe as they studied this last week of Jesus, the only two things we really know about Wednesday is that a woman came and anointed Jesus' feet with oil and Judas finalized his plans with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. But for some reason, on Wednesday, Jesus disappears from public view. There is very little record about what happens. And so the only thing I can tell you is that even Jesus pauses. Jesus apparently, well, I know he knew because he tells us what's going to happen. He knew that his Thursday and his Friday were not going to be great. 
that he was going to face some things that were going to be very difficult, very trying. And so I think maybe with no details, we need to learn that our ability to handle the public stage is formed and fashioned and established in our private moments. So Jesus slips off into a private realm for just a little bit, regroups, rests. Maybe some of you this morning need to regroup a little bit. Maybe you need to slip out of the public view just for a moment and renew and rest and allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. That's what Wednesday teaches us. But we're going to focus on Thursday. Thursday is the beginning of a brutal two days. Um, If you spend any time in your word, what you recognize is that Thursday and Friday of Jesus' life are unbelievable. They they are brutal. And so this begins these two days. Thursday is chock full of events. I mean, it is brimming with events that take place in Jesus' life. It's a long, grueling, eventful day. Here are some of the things that happen. I'm going to try to list them, everything but one, and then we'll come back to it. Just think about this. On this day, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. On this day, Jesus prays in the garden in so much agony and despair that the Bible says that his sweat began to turn to great drops of blood. Have you ever prayed that hard? I don't think any of us have probably ever prayed that hard. He prayed so, so hard asking God, is there another way that he began to sweat blood? Then uh, it's on this day that Judas comes into the garden and kisses Jesus on the face and betrays him. To, he identifies him to the Romans. It's on this day that Jesus is arrested. It's on Thursday that Jesus... Um, Uh, heals the Roman guard's ear. Remember, Peter reaches out in a fit of of defense or anger and he slices off the guard's ear and Jesus with mercy reaches out and heals. Okay, so this this day, this day. It's on this day that uh, Peter follows at a distance and he ultimately uh, denies Christ three times. It's on this day, on this Thursday, that Jesus is brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, where the whole religious crowd gathers and they begin to do this. They begin to uh, make their case against Jesus. They accuse him of blasphemy. They lie about him. They spit on him. They slap him. They hit him with closed fists. They do crazy things like hit him with closed fists and say, okay. They blindfold him, hit him and say, now prophesy, prophet, and tell us who hit you. It was a brutal day. It was, uh, it was a difficult day. We could spend weeks talking about what happens on Thursday. But I think because of the fact that we get captured in destination disease, we don't slow down long, long enough. I want us to stop just a moment, slow down, and realize that there's this important event that is positioned at the beginning of that day. It's one of the very first things that happens on that day, and I think it's important to recognize where it's positioned. We would call it the Last Supper. On your card, what I want you to write down, you should be over to the back now on Thursday, I want you to write this word down. I want you to write that, uh, and we're saying this is what Jesus does, he communes. He communes. Let me read it to you, Luke chapter 22. Beginning in verse 14, it says, When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, you've, you've no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I will eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. Taking the cup, he blessed it, then said, Take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. 
taking bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, eat it in my memory. And he did the same with the cup after supper saying, this is the cup, uh, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood, blood poured out for you. I want us to focus on verse 15. Here's several different versions. He said to them, earnestly, I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Another version says it like this. And he said to them, upon passionate longing, I have passionately longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The King James wrote it like this. With fervent desire, I longed to eat this meal with you. This moment uh, that has captured the mind and the imagination of artists and certainly captured the heart of Christians for centuries takes place before everything else takes place on this hectic and heartbreaking day. It's verse 15, though. When I started reading this again, I've read this verse, this passage, all of my life. If you've been in church any length of time, ever taken communion, you've heard these verses read. But it was verse 15 that stuck out in my mind because it's here that we discover that this meal wasn't as much about what, the, uh, about what they ate as it was about the men that Jesus ate it with. He, 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 uh, th th there's this deep, uh, if you take all these translations, you put them together, you can say it like this. There's this deep, fervent desire, this longing and passion inside of Jesus to spend some quality time with his closest friends, his closest followers, followers his confidants, right before everything becomes unbearable. I think we miss that aspect of the account. Jesus is literally telling us and showing us that at this moment, he needed his men as badly as they needed him. Are you with me? See, I think it's crucial to pay attention to the order established by Jesus. He makes this statement, and, 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 and I want you to listen carefully. He says, you have no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before... I enter my time of suffering. Before I enter my time of suffering. He said, earnestly have I longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Communion prepared Jesus for suffering. I think Jesus wanted to commune with his disciples before he suffered. And I think we tend to want to commune after we suffer. I want you to notice the difference. Jesus communed with his disciples before he suffered. We want to wait until after, after we suffer. Jesus positions communion before the cross. I wanna, I, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this in my own life and probably in some of your lives too. Then why do we want to position communion after we go to a cross? I think we've missed it. Jesus is literally in this moment when he says, I have longed to eat this with you before my time of suffering. I think what Jesus is literally doing, I may be wrong, but, but you're, you're going to have to prove it to me because I think what I've discovered is Jesus is allowing us to see and discover the secret sauce. Here it is. I think the secret sauce for us being able to suffer and survive is wrapped up in our time together because it strengthens us to survive suffering. One guy says this. He says the, the dilemma with the Western world when it comes to Christianity is that in, West, in the Western church, we have not been taught to suffer well. 
the Eastern church recognizes those overseas, overseas, they know what it's like to suffer. But what we want is we want prosperity. We don't want to suffer. We want salvation with no pain, salvation with no blood. We want rescue with nothing invested. That's the kind of Christianity we want, but we've never really learned to suffer well. And Jesus is showing us that there's a, a means by which we survive suffering. And that is our time together. Notice that before they spend the evening together, Jesus sends his disciples uh, ahead. I didn't read it to you, but, but you can go back and read it for yourself. Jesus looks at his disciples, a couple of them, and he says, go into the city and prepare for this meal together. You'll find a room. You'll find the supplies. So they go and they secure this. They, they, they go ahead. They prepare for communion in advance, right? A lot of times we act like we don't have to prepare for communion. Now, I'm, now listen, we're going to take communion, but I'm not talking about the, the, the sacraments. Come on, think with me. I am saying that what happens is we don't want to prepare for communion most of the time. We just expect it to happen. Then we get frustrated when it doesn't. And what I want to show you this morning is this, is that communion requires preparation. It does. So the disciples, they prepare by securing a room and food. But, but we prepare for and be, we must prepare for and be intentional about communion. Uh, we don't do that by securing the right appetizers or the right drinks. We, we prepare for communion by preparing our heart and our mind and our spirit and by letting our walls down and letting one another have access to our life so that we gain strength from one another. We must prepare. We cannot operate in isolation and then expect to enjoy the fruits and benefits of intimacy. Doesn't work that way. We can't just roll in here and expect that because I showed up at Passion Church uh, four times this month, then out of that I should be blessed with the fruits of intimacy. You must prepare for communion. You have to be intentional about it. It, 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 we, we, we prepare our souls, we prepare our, 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 our hearts, we prepare our, 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 our willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to let all of my fear be laid aside long enough that I'm going to let people that God has placed in my life have entrance. I prepare for that kind of communion. If we don't commune before we suffer, hear me this morning, I'm trying to help you. More of a teaching this morning. If we don't commune before we suffer, then typically there's no one there to commune with after we suffer. There seems to be this pattern that Jesus is trying to establish, but for some reason we've established our own pattern. This is what Jesus does. He communes before. This is what we do. Here's our pattern. We inform after. It until it's already finished. Because we don't commune before, we want to just inform after. And Jesus sets this pattern. Jesus knew that suffering could only be uh, survived if, if he communed before his time of suffering began. This is what we do we wait and then we wallow. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm hurting, not going to tell anybody I'm going through a season of suffering in my life, and then when nobody responds because I'm not in relationship deep enough to tell anybody about, then when they don't respond, I wallow. Nobody loves me. My phone didn't ring. 
Nobody checked on me. Doesn't that sound like the, the Western church right now? Nobody checked on me. Nobody, but we didn't commune enough in, before our time of suffering so that there was anybody to come to our rescue after or while we're in our suffering. We missed the whole pattern. When we think about the, um, the suffering that Jesus is about to, to, to endure, this is how we think. We think, at least I do, I think about the whip. I think about the fists. I think about the thorns. I think about the nails. I think about the spear that was thrust inside. To me, that, that, that represents suffering to me. But perhaps a greater part of the suffering that Jesus knew he was about to face was this, separation. I think the reason that in verse 15 he says there's this deep longing inside of me. There's this passionate passion inside of me. I have this deep-seated desire to spend time with you. Is I think it was because he recognized that he was going to go into this, this period of time where he's going to be completely and totally separated from the people he loved most. His, his disciples, his mother, his heavenly father. There's going to be this period of separation and that was suffering to him. I think maybe that's why Paul comes back later uh, and he begins to examine the power of Jesus' love for us and he exclaims that his love is greater than the power of what? Separation. Kenny referred to some of that in his time of transition. He, he begins to list these incredible powers and forces, angels, demons, uh, principalities, and all these things, rulers, and all these things that, that have power. And he says, none of that has the ability or the capacity to overtake Jesus' love for us. Perhaps, listen to me very carefully, perhaps the power of separation is broken by Jesus' love when we commune with one another. The investment of time you make in relationship when things are good will determine whether or not you can make any withdrawal when things go bad. So Jesus says, before I suffer, I want to spend some time with you. Before. Communion, why, 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 why? Real quickly, several things that communion does for us before we take communion together this morning. Number one, critical, uh, communion is critical for courage. Jesus apparently knew that communion makes us stronger. We can face more together than we can alone. Uh, haven't you experienced that uh, in, in, the, in the gym or when you're working out? I mean, some of us haven't been there in a while, but, but for those of us or for those of you that have been in there a little bit, you recognize that when I don't think I can do another rep, when I don't think I can lift it one more time, all it takes is somebody coming alongside of me. I don't even really have to know them that well. And they can say, come on, buddy, you can do just one more, just one more, just push it up one more time. And all of a sudden, out of somewhere, I don't even know where, I don't know what it is, you have this ability, maybe they just stick their finger under the bar just barely, and all of a sudden, boom, you knock out another rep. Why? Because communion makes us stronger. We're stronger together. We can do it. So, so communion makes it. Jesus' ability to endure the rest of this Thursday and the Friday to come is birthed in communion. This is why scripture tells us not to forsake the gathering together of ourselves. That isn't so that we can have, just have good church services. We, we're not supposed to forsake the, the gathering together, not for programs and rituals and routines. This is about the fact that when we gather together, we gather courage. You're stronger when you spend time in communion with one another. Your pain threshold could be determined or contingent upon your willingness to commune with others. 
when we are the weakest we can possibly be when we're all alone. The enemy knows that he can pick us off one by one when we're by ourselves. But he also recognizes why he fights it so hard in our Western setup of church. He fights this with everything within him. He fights us from, to keep us from communing with one another because he recognizes that if we spend time in relationship communing with one another, we're stronger. We're stronger. I remind you that on Friday, Jesus couldn't even carry his cross by himself. So why do we think we can carry ours by ourselves? He communes, we inform. We need to commune with one another before we suffer so that we will have individuals who rally around us when we buckle under the weight of what we're carrying. It is communion that gives way to carrying one another's burden. The reason in the Western church that we struggle to carry one another's burdens is because we don't commune. Through communion, there's this covenant of care that is established. We're one body, one flesh. So if you hurt, I hurt. And if you cry, I cry. And if you stumble, I come to your rescue and help you carry Right. If no one, listen to this statement, and some of us are not going to like this statement, but please listen carefully because I think I'm correct. If no one rallies, then it could be that this is the result of not breaking bread before it breaks bad. If you go into a season of suffering and no one rallies to your suffering, I'm just submitting to you that it could very well be that you haven't spent the intentional effort and time to commune at a level where somebody will respond and rescue you. Communion is critical for compassion. I want you to notice this, that immediately following communion, Jesus has a a moment of compassion. He was always filled with compassion, but we see it so well demonstrated here, so highlighted here. After, After communing with him, he has this moment of compassion that's birthed out of him, and he washes his disciples' feet. He serves them. How do you have the strength to serve folks that you know are about to walk away from you? How do you have the strength necessary to to wash somebody's feet that you know is about to betray you? How do you have the strength necessary to, to, to wash the feet of a guy that you know is going to deny you? You commune with them and learn to love them enough to offer them grace. Then Jesus' compassion carries outside the walls of that room, and notice what he does. Peter reaches out, cuts the ear off. Jesus is so filled with compassion that he reaches out and heals the ear of a guy that's trying to kill him. How do you have enough compassion to to gracefully deal with people that are trying to lead you into undeserved pain? Anybody have anybody like that at work? Yeah, here's how. You commune with folks who are for you so that you are so full of compassion that you are able to bless those who will despitefully use you. Jesus' actions out of a time of communion reveal that the true test of our faith isn't loving Jesus. Have y'all figured out that it's easy to love Jesus? I mean, who else died for you? Who else took your beating? Who else went to your cross? It is easy for me to love Jesus. That is no test of faith at all. I can do that all day long because he loved me so much, so I love him. That's not difficult. You know what's difficult? Loving Judas. 
that's difficult because Judas wanted me dead. And it is out of a moment of communion that I learned that I can be filled with compassion and grace even when I don't want to. Let me just tell you, let me let, let, me let you all in a, into a secret. Communion with one another is where we find enough strength that, so that we can love those who hurt us intentionally. Here's what I've learned in my own life. Maybe you haven't learned this yet. I don't know. Maybe we're, we're learning this together. When I'm with you and I commune with you, I become compassionate. If I remain in isolation, can I tell you what happens? I become self-centered and I become self-serving and everybody's against me and everybody's trying to hurt me. But when I'm with you, I learn compassion enough to deal with the pain and the suffering that we're going through in this life. And then last, let me tell you that communion leads to conquering. Come on, worship team. Communion leads to conquering. Listen very carefully. I have made a statement to you over the past few months that I want to repeat because I think we need to know this. If you were in our Hope Center graduation a few weeks ago, I made this statement. No one quits alone, right? Nobody quits alone. But can I tell you what Jesus teaches us as well? Nobody wins alone either. No one wins. He knew that he needed these men to continue after he was gone. He knew that his win, to, to, to win in this battle that he was fighting, to perpetuate rescue, to perpetuate our ability to be saved, to perpetuate our, our, our ability to approach the Father, was contingent upon whether or not these men that he's communing with before he suffers had the strength necessary to share the good news once he's gone. Am I right? Okay. He knew that he needed these men. He knew that to win, he would need them. Can I just tell you honestly this morning, my win not only depends on him, my win depends on we. Your win depends on me. We're interconnected. We're communing with one another. One body, one flesh, one blood. Your win is connected to mine. My win is connected to yours. Why? Because isolation leads to annihilation, but communion leads to conquering. It's as we spend time intentionally, on purpose, worshiping together, praying together, singing together, helping one another, rallying one another, carrying one another's burdens. It's in that moment that we win. So this is what happens around Easter every year, usually on Good Friday, that's next Sunday, but we're going to do it today. We're going to take communion. Get your little communion cup out. These take a little bit of preparation because you got to prepare for communion. You'll have to pull the little top piece back to get to the bread. And then the second one for your drink. And before you take it, we're going to take this together. I want to stop and remind you that this is what happens. When we take communion like this, Typically what happens is we spend our entire time together thinking about what Jesus did for us, right? When, when, I, take, when I take the bread and I break it and I drink the juice, and, and rightfully so because Jesus says we should remember him, right? Are you with me? We remember what Jesus did. He died for us. He took stripes on his back, right? 
That's why we typically take communion. That's how we typically, typically take communion. But we're going to do it a little bit different this morning. Do I want you to focus on what Jesus did? Yes, because without his blood, there's no salvation. But I want to stop here one moment. And I want us to just think about each other. Think about the communion that we have with each other. Would you stand with me? Is there anybody that Jesus has positioned in your life that can rescue you, that rallies to your need? So, Steve, you're saying you want us to take communion. You don't want us to think about Jesus. I do. I do. I want you to think about Jesus. But I also want you to think about what Jesus said before I suffer. Who do you have in your life that not, you don't just inform after it's all over. You can call before it ever starts. And you can say to them, I need your help. And they would come running. Because communion is where we find our strength where we find our courage it's where we find our win Father I pray that as we take this together this morning that you would do two things number one I pray that you would help us to remember what your son Jesus did for us at Calvary the pain that he endured I pray that you'd remind us that he wanted to be with men that he loved so much before he enters this season and I pray that in this moment you would remind us that we must too have communion. We've got to have communion as well. And I pray that you would allow westernized Christians, those of us that have been brought up in this thing to where we can do this all by ourselves, we don't need anybody but Jesus, I pray that you'd tear down our walls, tear down walls of isolation, tear down walls of being so introverted and private that nobody knows until after it's all over. I pray that as we take communion together, you would open the doors to relationship so that we can follow the pattern that you provided for us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says he took bread and he broke it and he handed it to them and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and eat. Would you take the bread and remember his body and remember that we are the body, that we remember his body when we commune. Then it says he took a cup and he blessed it and he handed it to them and he said, this is my blood that's, been, that's going to be shed for you. He establishes a new covenant, a, a new covenant of communion with the Father. But I also believe, I'm convinced of this as I reread it. It's a new covenant of communion with one another so that we can lean and trust and carry one another's burdens. Would you take the cup and drink? And now just for one moment, would you just lift up a voice of praise as we sing just together, just one song together as we commune in worship this morning.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.